This is the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen. Three, two, one, and welcome everybody to this episode of the Coming Home Podcast. It's a wonderful Friday afternoon. Uh, This episode you'll be hearing this coming Sunday, but right now it's Friday and we live in the moment. We don't care about Sunday. It's Friday. I'm sitting here speaking with Miss Lauren White. This is your second appearance. Welcome. Uh, thank you, John. Good afternoon to you. Good yeah. morning to me. Yeah, uh, It's a little earlier here in Florida. Uh, and thank you for having me on again. I really enjoyed uh, doing it the first time yeah. and got a lot of great feedback from my friends. Had a blast talking with you and Tiffany, even though it was 6 a.m. here. <laughs> and it uh, was early. Yes, it was early. <laughs> Well, that was a, we had so, a great time. That was a great. Uh, I I really enjoyed getting to know you. Tiffy pretty much ran that episode. That was one of the Tiffy Tuesday episodes, which will be coming back. By the way, she's a little busy with uh, with life, <laughs> and yes. uh, but she will she will be back. Um, and here you are for a second episode. I brought you back because you have some very interesting things. Things that interest me. Um, two things I'm thinking of. First is your book innocently devious um congratulations thank you <laughs> you're two steps you're two steps ahead of me i i'm i'm gonna be coming with a book eventually but that'll be my first one and this is your second so i uh you know it, all of this is unplanned right um when i read uh, when i a did happy the first accident book. a happy accident <laughs> as you said yes. a happy accident full of raw passionate thought those were your own Thank words. You. Yeah. Yes. Cause that's how people, um, when they read my poetry, that's how they describe it to me. And that was and that, never how I described it to myself. That is a uh, great, I, great description. You, you, your poetry is, 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 well, it's raw and it's passionate. It's so straightforward it's, and yet it keeps its poetic, um, its poetic aspects, even though it's so straightforward. It's me. Uh, And and I suppose I don't know uh, any other way to write. And and perhaps that's because the writing's always been an outlet. Uh, The first book, uh, Sunshine and Whiskey, was just a collection of about 20 years worth of stuff. I I couldn't tell you when I started writing. Um, Wow. And finally, one day, I just said, oh, you know, what the hell? I'll just put it all out there. Uh, That was never with the intention of writing a second book. And I sat down and decided to collect what I had written since uh, doing the first book because putting 20 years worth of poetry from my computer, my journals, my Twitter, everything together was a nightmare. And I said, I let imagine. me not do that again. Let me start the Word document. And when I put it together, I was like, wow, I've, uh, I've told a story about something that I've just went through. And I, um, I sat on it. I put it together about January, February this year. And then I, I just stopped. Um, and then everything went to hell. 2020 <laughs> just kind of reared its ugly came. head. <laughs> <laughs> and it, the tab was always open on okay. my computer. And I had originally thought, I'm going to make this little story the first part of my book. And finally, uh, later about July, August sometime, I started 
putting more poems in there and I started dividing it up and I realized I was writing the exact same book that I had Uh, done the first time and I didn't want to do that. And so I took the poems that I had collected that I was going to make a part one that I had first put in there way back in February and said, this is really a story that can be told by itself. And that's what this book is. Well, again, congratulations. You know, um, there's a lot of people, myself included, who use a lot of time thinking about writing a book. You, <laughs> you, you did it. Now, when, when, when you're talking about this being, or your first book, rather, being a collection of 20 years worth of writing, I can imagine that was quite the emotional journey for you to go back and look at things that maybe you had forgotten or at least maybe things that were pushed back in your conscious mind. And then here you come again to kind of dig it up again and revisit it. It was a little of that, um, both um, from a personal standpoint, but then also from skill. Uh, I, I don't like to, how do I say this? I don't like to read myself in the same Uh, way. I don't like to watch myself on camera. You know, I've done a couple of fan films, um, Star Trek fan films, and I just, I don't want to watch them. I don't want to see myself (laughs) on camera. And (laughs) it's the same way with my poetry. I go back and I read it. Half the time I wake up in the morning and I go look at my Twitter and I'm like, what was I thinking last night? And I have all these comments from people like, Lauren, oh, my God, this was beautiful. I'm like, really? Because I just was spewing <laughs> garbage in a moment. Um, but I think that's the thing. And, and well, a lot again, of writers, it, a lot of writers distance themselves almost immediately once it's written. I do that with my my music, my lyrics. I write it and then it's almost if I go back and hear it again, if I hear it on the radio or I revisit it in the studio, it's almost as if someone else wrote that. And now I am an outsider. I'm the listener interpreting what was written. Well, it's your inhibitions coming out, right? Yeah, and that's yeah. the part of ourselves that we are probably most scared of. Uh, is, it as a child, is it a self-confidence thing? I think it is. I think that's part of it. Um, and for me as a child, um, you know, I was very shy. I was very quiet. I didn't talk to a lot of people. I didn't really talk to you if I didn't have to. <laughs> I was not very happy. Um, and I, I wrote and people always said to me when you did talk though, it was something you meant. Like it wow. was, you were serious about it. It was something you wanted to say. And this usually resulted in me being in trouble. <laughs> so I think, um, the writing, between the poetry and the journals that I have everywhere still, um, it, it was just a way to get out all the things that I couldn't say. So, you know, there may have been when I went back into middle school, high school days, there was some of that flowery stuff that yeah. everybody tries to write. And then later you're like, oh, my God, no. <laughs> um, from a, a skill standpoint, I tended to be very verbose. Okay. And that 130 character limit on Twitter will teach you how to tone it down just a bit, take out all that superfluous wording that you don't need. And so that is something that I saw going back when I went through some of my older ones, that very first poem in the book, I I cut out this word, that word, that word. And one of my high school um, teachers, uh, Anne Claycomb, she was my English literature uh, teacher, English language. Um, 
and I worked with her on a literary magazine. That's advice she gave me years ago that I've tried to remember is don't put in all these words that you don't need that oh. don't add to it. So there was that just realizing, okay, I need to write better. Um, but then there was just all this, all this pain in it. And, uh, while it was at different portions of my life, I feel like it was different types of pain from, you know, being a child, then moving to, you know, first job, moving to a different state, uh, going through relationships and breakups. They were different sorts of pain that I was trying to get out while also understanding myself. And is that maybe why a- it's hard for you to revisit it? Because it's, it's plain and simple. It's pain. Is it is um, it almost as if you you're feeling that you're reliving it when you go back and read that? Well, I don't think I need to reread it to do that because I'm very good at re-traumatizing myself. Oh, congratulations! <laughs> um, I I I just um you know, and we, this is something that we were probably going to get to later. Um, but I just did uh, an evaluation for autism spectrum disorder. Yes. And that, was, and that was the second thing I wanted to ask you about. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I was speaking with the examiner, uh, about my doctor suggesting, this is the first, um, doctor that has suggested to me that I have PTSD. And, uh, it's very strange because people tend to associate PTSD with uh, military or yeah. um, sexual abuse or, or, or some, you know, deeply seated uh, sort of trauma, something deeply significant. And there isn't anything that I have that really compares to those experiences, but I was just relaying an event to her. And she's, she said, I'm watching you re-traumatize yourself because I relive it that way. Just talking myself through it. So the poetry is actually, I think a way to heal from that, to get it out. And when people are dealing with things, and I think I have said this to you, I, I tell folks, write it, down. Uh, my friend um, is having relationship issues with her husband. There are things that she wants to say. I tell her, write it down, get it out of your head because yes. she's like, I don't know how to approach the conversation. Write it down. There are people that contact me on Twitter because what I write is so honest. And, um, it, it and that's me trying to get my pain out of my head, there's usually some liquid courage involved in that. (laughs) And that's where I say, you know, the inhibitions that we are hiding from within ourselves get out in our words and our lyrics and our music. And then later you're like, Oh my God, did I show that to people? But that's what we need, right? That's what people want to see. And so people have contacted me because it resonates so much with them. And they say, can I just talk to you? Because I feel like you'll get it. And I tell them, write it down, do a journal, do something that puts it on paper and gets it out of your system. And a lot of the time that's um, therapeutic and cathartic for me. Sure, sure. To to not even write a poem. I've, I've sat down many a time to journal and sometimes I can't do it. I, I have found, and you've probably um, found this with music, with writing lyrics is you have the intent in your mind to go do something and you're just not ready. It's oh, just absolutely. not there yeah. yet. Yeah. And uh, I've sat down a journal and say, you know what? No, my mind yeah. is, is not ready to, to purge it quite yet. Yep. And then I've sat down 
not knowing what to write. And I've written an essay that I might even be proud of at the end. And that's what my blog has become. My most recent blog posts are very well um, written, by the way, that most recent post. I'm going to link. I'm going to link to that when I post this episode. I want to link to that so that my listeners can check that out because it was a beautifully written piece. Thank you. So um, that was the I have autism post. And. I had been, uh, I got the diagnosis um, just a week ago, just this past Friday, and I went through a gamut of emotions, definitely, and I wanted to write about it, and I sat down to do it, and I was like, nope, not ready, Before, and then nope. the next day, I was like, nope. Not ready. Before you talk and about then it, the it out. Yeah. Before you talk about the process of writing about it, let me back you up a little bit. Sure. What, let's talk about the process that led you to going in to speak with a doctor about what eventually became this new diagnosis. Tell me about that. What led up to that doctor visit? Um I have been uh, dealing with my mental health uh, since about 20. I'm 34 now. And I, I like to say mental health now, vice mental illness, because it's just... It sounds better. <laughs> yeah, well, it sounds well, better. And, and it's, more, it's more inclusive, and I believe that it, uh, it takes away some of that stigma. Yes, some of the negativity sure. with it. Yeah. Um, so I, I would say maybe around 16 or so is when I figured out something is wrong. You know, just, just something's not right with my feelings, um, the way that I am dealing with things. And I, I thought depression was the issue. Okay. Um, but, of course, you know, we grew up in a culture um, – where we don't talk about that. And it's only in the recent years that people are getting a a more, um, they're speaking about it more, advocating for it more. And especially now during 2020 where people now get it because they're dealing with it stuck in homes. And uh, it's like, Oh yeah, this is a, this is a real problem. This is a thing. Yeah. And, and I want, I want to say for the listeners, it's also something that is even more of a, um, of a stigma, of, of a negative stigma uh, in the black community. Uh, for sure. Black folks are just known for not talking about mental health. Unfortunately, it's a sad thing. But I, again, I agree with you. I do believe it's getting better, uh, both in the black community, but in the community period, in the world period. It's, it's becoming more normal to speak about. And and me and my best friend Kyle were actually just discussing that um a week or so ago when I was discussing it with my mother also, um, culturally you, you don't talk about it. Um, it's like, okay, so do you need a beating so you can feel better? <laughs> yeah, and then you, yeah. and then we say that to laugh, but you know, it's but actually it's a thing. Like, it's a thing. That it's, is a it's thing. true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just, Oh, you know, you'll be fine. Like, you know, ADD, all that stuff. Like, you know, you just need a beating, you know, you need a, some discipline and, and you'll be fine. So quote, it's, air it's, quote, knock some sense into you. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Have so you heard that you, before? <laughs> oh, plenty of times. Um, <laughs> my parents are from the islands. We're a little more serious. So, <laughs> um, so it wasn't until I was about uh, 20, I was talking with my mom and 
like I had completely shut down and actually for the year prior, I, I was just like, all right, how do I, um, how do I take my life today? Like that was my, my wake up in the morning thought process. And when you say shut um, down, do you mean, uh, had you isolated yourself from family and friends? Much. Had you, were you working, uh, at that time? What do you, what I do you mean? Doing, what do you mean by shut down? I was doing my undergraduate degree. Um, I was barely making it through, uh, I wasn't talking to anybody, wasn't doing anything. I was still living at home. I pretty much just stayed in my room. And, okay. you know, my mom and I were talking about it. Um, and I was like, mom, I need to, I need to see somebody. And she's like, all right, do that tomorrow, please. Yeah, yeah. And so that's when we first got the um, major depressive disorder uh, diagnosis. And um, one of the things that I tell people about seeing doctors is that it's not a quick process. When you first go into it, you you don't understand it and no. you don't know how to be honest with yourself yet. You don't know how to talk about the things that are bothering you and you don't know what all of those things are. So Yeah, that could, be a, been, that could be a tough discussion. You know, you're sitting there in front of a doctor, a, a psych, psychologist, for example, and you're there because you're not feeling right mentally, but how do you put words on that? Especially mm -hmm. if you are in a... Uh, environment where it's not normal or it's not very accepted to speak about it. So how do you do that then with this stranger, this doctor? Right. You know, yeah, it's and not it's easy. a process. It, it it's must a process be. that, um, especially when you, you move, I've moved several times. So I've seen new doctors, new therapists, and, and that's why I tell folks keep going. You know, it's not, easy at first, no. but until you get to the point where you can bring all of your honesty into it, you're not going to get the full benefit of it, but you have to grow into that. So when I uh, moved back to Orlando and I found a new therapist about um, three years ago that I've been seeing, um, that was the first time I walked into the office. I printed out some some raw letters that I had written. Um, I, uh, you know, pulled some some journaling that I had done. I came into office. I gave that to her. And I said, here is everything that we have to deal with. That was the first <laughs> well, that's time. one way to do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because other times I would go in, I say, okay, there's this thing, but I don't want to talk to you about it yet. Oh. Like, I'm not ready. And at least this time, we may not have gotten around to talking about it yet, but we know what's on the table and I can reference it and she can say, Lauren, we need to talk about this. Okay. And, and you, you got to bring an honesty to sure. it in order for, um, for these things to come out. So what we've dealt with mostly for the last, uh, 14 or so years has been the depression. And, um, every other doctor I have seen has said you have ADHD. And that made no sense to me because I was always very driven in school, you know, always went through, yeah. you know, my work, never had any issues with that. So what are they the based that on? I, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, watching me talk um, and listening to things that I say, uh, how, you know, I say to myself, well, if I care about it, then I do it. If I don't care, I don't want to do it. And they put all that together and they're like, Lauren, you have ADHD. I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> and <laughs> the first time I, I got one of those uh, uh, medications that you can take as needed um, for ADD. And I read a page in a book 
the first time all the way through without rereading the same paragraph four times because I hadn't processed any of it because I had checked out and started daydreaming. I was like, yo, this might be a real thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, it manifests itself in, in so many different ways. A lot of people, when they think of ADHD or ADD, they just think of the hyperactive kid who can't sit still. Yes. But there's different, especially as an adult, there's so many different ways in which that, 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 diagnosis can manifest itself and and I'll, I'll add a clarifier to that they think of the hyperactive boy yes um yes not the daydreaming girl yes um and so that's that's me i'm a daydreamer i will realize that i've been standing in the same spot for 10 minutes and i've been thinking about <laughs> something and i i'm i'm gone i'm yeah. i've been totally out of it and i've 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 done that while in conversation with people. They're like, did you just go away? And I'm like, did I, did I answer your question? Cause I heard it. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. heard it. And, and so sometimes I have to stare really hard at people um, in probably a very creepy way because I'm trying to listen and process what you're saying. And there are times where I like, look, I'm so sorry. I didn't hear any of that. Yeah. <laughs> and I need you to, to go back and, and tell me again. So the, so, the ADHD, I, I, I have not, um, I've known about it, but I haven't really, I'd say, been able to process it until this last year or so okay. to really see it in myself. I see. And but you see I it, do, do you see it in focus. yourself now? I do. Um, and that might be, uh, you know, medications more properly regulating some of the other things. And I, I was talking to my doctor, I, I did an interview recently, and it was it was funny to me that I was so, um, you know, standing up straight. Uh, they asked me questions that I was not prepared for. I was able to answer them um articulately and eloquently like i killed the interview yeah. i can that sounds that sounds narcissistic but i did like <laughs> i knew i did really well yeah. on it and then three days later i'm talking to her and i couldn't find words you know i was trying to order something off a menu and i'm trying to think of a word and i'm kind of just looking all around and i just could not focus. so so is that the add then manifesting itself Yes. And, okay. uh, and both, and she's like, I can see it on you right now. But, uh, the thing that I'm learning from talking with the doctors and, and reading about girls and women is it's a little easy, uh, for us to accommodate and mask and, um, figure out the way that we need to be in certain situations and portray that confidence and, and sort of, you know, hyper focus bring well, it to the table well, it's for almost a moment. to it's almost to your detriment that you are so tough and I, when i say you i'm talking about all women women are so tough and adaptable much more so than men when men have to adapt and it gets too hard we act out we get loud we get violent <laughs> but you guys seem to be able to you know manipulate navigate. yourselves well yeah navigate yourselves through the situation and you end up in a at least for a while in a situation that you can cope with and it's masking the struggle because you guys are so adaptive. And it's exhausting. Sure. Um, sure. And so, and that's when the, the monster comes out when you're, <laughs> you're just tired. And that, that's what I refer to it. Cause sometimes I feel like there's just this little monster hiding in there. And when I just lose control for a moment like that, 
evil person. So, so, so you were around 20. Um, you're, you're working on your undergraduate graduate degree. You speak with your mother. She says, yeah, go ahead and see a doctor. You see a doctor and originally it was about depression. Mm-hmm. And then now how long was it after that before the ADD diagnosis came? Actually, the first doctor I saw told me that at that time. Okay. Um, so you got, and, you, so you got the diagnosis of, of depression and ADD immediately. Yes. Okay. We just didn't really, I just didn't really deal with the ADD and every gotcha. medication that they have for it raises my blood pressure oh. and my heart rate. So I just, I can't take it. Um, so it's just one of those things that I've learned to, to deal with. And if I, if I check out of conversation with you, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, is it easier? Is it easier for, you know, you're, you're doing fine in this conversation. Is it easier mm -hmm. to do something like this over video, you know, long distance? I'm not there in front of you. Would this be a different flow of conversation if I was sitting right there with you across a table? Um, it depends. It depends on what we're talking about. And, um, my doctor actually, um, she actually recommended a podcast, uh, for me to listen to. Um, it's by coming uh, home podcast with John Allen. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Her name is, um, uh, Tracy Atsuka, I believe. And it's called, uh, ADHD for smart ass women. Uh And, and I've listened to a couple episodes of that, and it, it's funny being listening to the podcast and and being around that group of of uh, women in a private uh, Facebook page, mm-hmm. because um, you, you know they'll say, "Does anybody else do this?" And I'm like, "Wow, it's not just me." Um, and uh, and and it and see, I've I've lost my train of thought, like telling you, because <laughs> I I'm thinking uh. about three different things, um, and so they're you know it's just listening to the other women in there um, talk yeah. about the experiences. What did you ask me, John? No, um, I guess if if we go back a, a couple of minutes, what I was what I was getting at was the timeline where you you. Uh, <laughs> You, 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 you were 20, you get the diagnosis, mm-hmm. um, uh, depression and ADD. And it came then, back. It came back. Okay. Yeah, Sorry. Yeah. No, I got it. Go and ahead. there was my little ADHD moment for <laughs> the world to listen to. <laughs> you asked me Live what it would be like face. if you were here. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because, um, I, uh, I care about this conversation. So it's easier for me to check in and listen to. And that's one of the things that she talks about is like when you're interested in something, you got that like switch on and you're hyper focused on it and then you don't care. Yeah. And it's like gone, you know, and she kind of compares it to a a light switch. Um, You know, you're utterly obsessed and then you don't care. And, and that's with me. I've noticed with certain topics, you, you get me on to movies or music or something. I just start rambling like an idiot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then other times I'm looking at people and I feel bad about this, but <laughs> I'm like, I just don't care what you're saying. Like, <laughs> I just, I don't, I don't hear, I don't and hear I would it. Imagine, I'm trying to listen. I would imagine I, speaking for myself when I, when that happens to me, and, and, and believe me when I say this, I mean, I, I, if I'm speaking with someone that I, I truly care, I want to, I want to listen, but sometimes I can't. And yes. then this, this, this negative spiral 
starts going around because, oh my gosh, I'm being such an ass. I should be listening <laughs> to this person. And, and I'm going through that process while their mouth is moving and words are coming out of their mouth. But I'm in my head like, oh my God, why can't I follow this conversation? Why can't I give this person? And it's just, it's a weird inner conversation that blocks out the outer conversation with that person who is there. And we probably all do that to some extent, you know, yeah. like just kind of check out a conversation. It's, you know, for us, it's a little, well, um, well, so it's how a much, little more emphasized. Yeah, okay. So that's, that, that's the, uh, that's the dividing line then, because I was going to ask how much of that is normal human behavior and how much that, how much of that is ADD or ADHD? You know, do people, do people, you know, some people would say that that diagnosis is over diagnosed. It's yes, an easy, um, it's an easy go to for that person who is a little bit more active in their mind, a little more creative, a little more focused uh, on things, you know, a little more passionate, if you will. What do you, what do you say and, to that? And like I said, I, I that's maybe why it was hard for me to initially understand because that that's that would be what I would say to the doctor. I'm yeah. like, well, I just don't care about that. Right. You know, that's why I can't pay attention. But now when I go back to all the nights that I stayed up till two in the morning doing my homework and uh, getting up at, at 4 a.m. in high school to do my homework. And then yeah. college was just so difficult for me to go through because I never had to study ah. uh, in high school. So when I had to actually sit down and study for my engineering exams, I didn't know how to do that. And, um, and teleworking has been difficult for me. I personally try not to telework because it's easier for me to be in the office, have the structure and be around people. Whereas the other day, um, you know, I got my office together. Finally, I was sitting at my desk and I'm working and I'm like, oh, there's a spot on the floor. You know, I should go clean that up. <laughs> and then I sit down and I do something and then I get up. And before I realize it, like I've spent five or 10 minutes doing something around a kitchen. And I'm like, go back to work. So and then I'm working. Need that office, and then I, you need yes. that office structure. <laughs> and See, I that's, realized, I'm opposite. okay, I'm not. you're, you're not, uh, you're not, I was distracted by literally everything because I kept stopping and just looking around the house and, okay. and just like doing all this, all this other stuff. Um, another thing I've, um, I've realized and, and learned that other women do is, is the daydreaming. Like I'm in my head way down the road in my little fantasy land, um, with this person having this made up conversation about something. And when somebody posted, I was like, Oh my God, it's not just me. <laughs> <laughs> you are like, you just, I've created this whole other world in my head. And so, you know, I'll just, I'll be lost in there for a while. So you've accepted, and, uh, you've accepted that diagnosis of ADD then. For sure. And, um, now you, have. you know, it's a little misleading that it's all now under the ADHD blanket, which, you know, it's, it's, it's a little frustrating that, you know, they're, they're changing the DSM five to, to blanket a lot of these terms now. So, um, Kind of getting back to the little journey here is that, you know, we've had the depression disorder, we've had the ADD disorder. Several years later is when my anxiety began to be more manifest, so it was general anxiety disorder. And then now we maybe understand that that's maybe PTSD anxiety because you got a little PTSD, a little OCD, a little all of that. All of that falls under the anxiety umbrella. And 
I, um, I started seeing this new doctor because my problem with psychiatrists is they tend to be pill pushers, right? Yes. You, you go in for 10 minutes and it's like, how are you doing? How are you doing on your meds? Okay, well, why are you feeling that way? Well, stop feeling that way. Well, let's raise your prescription. Come see me in three months. And, and they just don't have a lot of um, sympathy or, or good bedside manner. And I usually end up more angry, ironically, when I leave a psychiatrist's office than when I have gone in because right. I just I feel like a, a number, you know, yeah. like when you go to the ER and are just trying to push you out. So um, my friend really, really liked this doctor and um i was like all right you know i'll i'll give it a shot and can i ask male or female doctor she's a female doctor um, <laughs> she she is a female okay yeah yes yes female <laughs> i use too many words there um <laughs> so, you're, you're a writer correct yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey i have my moments i have my moments that's what proofreading and word is for that's what editors are um, for <laughs> yes yes And, uh, what was funny is my friend said to me, she fixed me right away and, and she really, really hyped her up and she was scared that I wouldn't like her (laughs) because she had hyped her up so much. I'm like, no, I actually think she's really cool. But what was funny is that, you know, she's, well, what I really like about her is that she's not one of those ones to immediately throw a diagnosis at you. She wants to hear the history and spend the time getting to know you and really understanding you. And about three or four visits in, she said, you perplex me. And I'm like, oh, well, damn, I perplex a psychiatrist. Like, you know, like, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just weird. Nobody could figure me out, you yeah. know, cause I, I, I'm like the, the psychiatrist is looking at me like, uh, I don't get you. I'm like, well, you know, just get in line. You know? <laughs> so, um, she, she said to me, um, she loves my personality, which I really appreciate. She's like, you're very logical, very systematic, very pragmatic. You know, I love the way that, you know, you speak and, you know, you just no BS. And so she said, um, I am thinking high functioning autism because I'm also looking at the ways that you interact with people, your social interactions, your, your romantic life and how it's just like a, you know, in my words, I'm going to say a failure in so many ways. And she said, I could argue for or against it. And I said, okay. And I had actually thought about it before because, you know, engineers were probably all on that spectrum somewhere. Uh-huh. Um, and me and my friend kind of joke about that. And, uh, and we're talking and we high, high functioning autism, correct? High functioning autism. So what would initially or before I think uh, 20, 2011 or so would have been referred to as Asperger's syndrome. Um, but now we just have autism spectrum disorder and you have level one, two and three. So she suggested high functioning autism, gave me some things to read, uh, gave me a checklist. And I actually happened to be home in Maryland when I did that checklist and I went through it. And I looked at how many things I circled. Yeah. And eye-opening experience. It it was terrifying. I gave it to my mom, and I said, "Mom, can you read this?" And she came up to my room, and she just kind of was like, (laughs) 
yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's you. <laughs> and, and my first thought to myself and that I said to her was, I can't fix that. And with everything else, I felt like with depression, with anxiety, I can learn skills. I can cope. I can medicate. I can yeah, do something yeah. to get my head right. right. And with that, I was like, I can't. I can't fix that. That's, that's just me. And, and so my mom was like, so now we figure out who you are and how we embrace it. Um, and I did that for the next couple of weeks. I was like, all right, maybe this is why everybody thinks I'm weird or not normal. And, but there wasn't a, there wasn't a period of, of, of sadness or frustration or anger when you found out. Not yet. Okay. Um, This is very I, recent I was, now, this, because this yeah. uh, this was uh, what last last. Uh, well, when that that doctor that I see regularly first told me that that was back in October. Okay. Um, and I was like, okay, so maybe. Um, and I think I knew, you know, I think I knew the answer, and I was like, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna start hashtagging neurodivergent and talk about not being normal and and all my quirks and I'm I'm totally going to be all about this like love my weird and yeah. and find inspirational quotes and all that bs you know but uh when I saw my doctor again I said are you still in the fence you know with that diagnosis and she says I am and one of the things I appreciate about her that she said to me is um she's like you're very accommodating of life. And then she also admitted that being a doctor, she can accommodate the way that she talks to people. And having known me for several months now, she's like, I might be accommodating your social interaction and, and your way of speaking. Um, and it was also very hard for her. Cause she's like, I think you're awesome. <laughs> you know, I think the way that you talk to people is great. I love that you're pragmatic. Um, you know, it just might not work in all situations. And she said, if you really want to know, if you need that yes or no answer, do the eval. Well, I'm an engineer. Of course I wanted to know. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no, I need a yes or no answer. Like I can't just live with a maybe in my head. And that's a bit of a process. It's a series of tests and whatnot that takes uh, quite a while to get through, right? It was about um, seven I think I had to do about seven or eight personality tests that the doctor sent me. And this particular um, examiner is also one that specializes in autism in women because a lot of people don't understand that. Um, and it's, and it's harder to diagnose. And from what I understand from my doctors, not only is it less diagnosed in women, as we were speaking about earlier, it's less diagnosed in black people. I spoke so, with, um, I had a podcast episode a couple of months back with a lady from Ohio around my hometown in Ohio, hometown in Ohio, uh, Maureen Keating, uh, shout out to Maureen. And she's, uh, had a quite the fabled career, working with women who are uh, addicts and different levels of addiction. And she is uh, one of the pioneers who has brought it out into the open and it has actually become accepted that women addicts need a different type of treatment than men 
addicts. So there is mm-hmm. a, there is a significant difference uh, with different medical diagnosis and then with these social issues as well, such as yeah. addiction. And uh, I can I can easily see that there's a difference between um, uh, autism in men and autism in, in females. Absolutely. And and there's a a certain point where you think, well, this is just how I am, right? Yeah. You know, I'm a yeah. I'm a black woman. I'm an engineer, so I'm in a white male dominated field. I've had to learn to hold my own. Um, people tell me you're the most confident, strongest person I've ever met, and I look at them. I'm like, I don't know who you see <laughs> on a daily basis. <laughs> Do you take compliments well? I don't. You know, when, okay, oh. So when someone gives you a compliment, do you actually say that? Do you actually say something like, oh, gosh, I don't know what you see? Or do you say, oh, that's nice. Thank you. I'm I'm trying to get better about not saying the first thing. But do you, um, do you, at, times, <laughs> do you at times actually voice your disagreement with them? I do. And or sometimes I just look at them and I'm, I'm like, OK, um, <laughs> can you can then, you can you ex, can you um get a compliment and and feel good about getting it or does it make you uncomfortable um i would say more often than not it makes me uncomfortable depending on what it is now you complimenting me on my writing was okay great i'm glad but that's also because i have this fear when i write i know that I'm doing stream of consciousness. That's, yeah. that's just how I write. That's how yeah. I write my poetry. I don't think a whole lot about it. I just get it out. Yeah. So when you say that to me, I'm like, Oh, thank goodness. Like that's more of a relief reaction to your compliment. Like, okay, it's good. Um, but and you must other have, times, yeah, I was going to say, you must have a certain amount of confidence though, because you do it, you do write. So you must have yes. some confidence that it's working out, that it's going to be accepted, that it's, uh, that there's some quality to it. Um, am I right? I, I mean, you must have some kind of. I do now, okay. now that I understand that people like it. When I first did it, it was an outlet. It was like a personal project to get out of my head. Was it hard, to, then, was it hard to put the book out? Was it? Well, I started all... with a blog. I started with a That's blog right. and with Twitter and I met a lot of poets on Twitter and got some blog followers and then people liked my poems and asked me to join Twitter poetry groups and then I got more followers and put out books and I'm like wow people uh people actually like this and that that wasn't something that I had initially been prepared for um so and I I've had people that's just that, you know, you, you're, you're like a light in the room. People gravitate to you. And, and that's hard for me to hear. And it's funny because I've had the same mentor, um, since about 2009 and he does not like to talk about himself and he, he doesn't like personal attention and he freaks out a little like with compliments. So we always talk about me and, but I poke at him and I'll be like, Hey, how's this, you know, what's going on? And we've, grown. I say that's one of the things to come out of this year that's made me so happy is how much our relationship, even after almost 12 years, has grown so much. And he, I'll give him a compliment or I'll say something really nice and meaningful. And I'm like, 
Mark, I can hear you cringing like, <laughs> by the phone. And, and I say to him, I'm like, remember a few years ago when you told me that like people gravitate toward me in the room and people really like me and maybe I'm really a cool person. And he's like, yeah, I'm like, I'm going to tell you that right now and just say thank you. And he's just like, oh, you know, so <laughs> it's, it's funny to figure out how both how similar we both are in that aspect. And so while going through all of this, I'm like, Hey dude, so how does high functioning autism sound to you? And he's like, Hmm. Yeah. And I, I give him all the the stuff to read and and we talk about it. We share music and talk about everything (laughs) else. Like he's grown to be one of my best friends. So he's one of the few people that I I was talking through going through this process. Yeah. So there's about, um, there's like about eight personality tests that I had to do. Um, that takes and, a while. Some, it, it did. And some of the questions make me laugh because they weren't things that I would think about being assigned as autism. Um, so, for example, a question might have been, you don't understand um, the euphemism, um, he wears his heart on his sleeve, right? I understand it. Yeah. I just hate it. And so I didn't under I didn't understand it's a little that gross, actually. I can't I can't stand sayings like that. And and I said that to the examiner. You know, people say things like kill two birds with one stone. And in my mind, I'm like, well, that can't possibly work because you'd have to like throw the stone at like a certain projectile and velocity in order to hit the one bird so in a way that, that thing- it can projectile to the second bird. Or you just take a rock and you kill both of them at the same time. Like that's the only way that that works. I'm like, stop saying that to me. So, so is that over, <laughs> is that over analyzation of these sayings? Is that a sign then of some level of autism? Yes, like it, the sayings like that, because I, I guess I'm so pragmatic and so literally thinking, I'm like, I know what you're trying to tell me. I just wish you wouldn't say it to me that way because yeah. you're making me mad. Um, I get, I get and- so irritated when people say, hear me out. And I don't know why, but that bothers me. <laughs> well, really- I think we all have our, our things that are just like, mm, <laughs> I don't like that you just said that. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, hold, but, hold on, John, hear me out. And I cringe <laughs> when I hear that. And I, I, uh. So there were a few questions like that with the, the euphemisms like, um, and I, I think back through that as a child, I used to have a bit of a rant. I say, so if you're beating around the bush, you're not making your point. So if you make your point, are you beating the bush and why? And if I bury the hatchet, at that point that I'm burying it, it's because I've already killed you and I'm trying to get rid of the incriminating evidence. Okay. And then, you know, just my mom, my mom loves to say this weather is for the birds. And I would always say to her, I'm like, but mom, it's winter. The birds leave. Like, I don't understand. And that is a saying that why doesn't saying make that. sense. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> this weather is for the birds. Okay. Uh, and- <laughs> what kind of standards do these birds have then? So I'm going through all these tests and I'm like, okay, like there's a problem here. And, and for the most part, I couldn't see the results of it, but there was one exam that gave me the results immediately that I had to print out and I was above threshold in in every single category. And so I was like, okay, holy crap. And I sent it to my best friend, Kyle, and I was like, dude, take this test. And so he took it and he was, he was like, I should take that. I'm like, all right, take it. And then he was fine. And I'm like, see, uh, see, dude, like there's a thing going on. Yeah. And, um, and then the other thing that I just want to mention, um, kind of as a side note 
is a lot of folks don't take insurance anymore. And the thing with mental health, like I've been fortunate to um, have an engineering career and keep my job um, as an essential employee to my company. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. So I have my my benefits and I have a good salary that has allowed me to get what I need through this year. And teleworking has made it easier for me to do um, more appointments and work my schedule around that. A lot of people don't have that. Yes. And I pay um, $250 a session to see this psychiatrist because there's no insurance. Getting this evaluation was $900. And that's because I didn't pay the additional $500 that I could have done to do a full report. It was 900 to do a three plus hour examination and, and have like a two, three page summary report, which hurt. (laughs) (laughs) I can imagine. um, You know, how many people are there that can't do that? And so have no choice, but to not know because you can't afford it. And So that's something that I wish that we would work on. Um, You know, if you don't take insurance, fine. But to charge that amount to have people learn about, you know, their health and what they need to move forward with it is very unfortunate. There's Um, something wrong with that system. That's something that I've ranted about uh, for quite some time. Uh, And it's an eye opener to live outside of the United States and see what other nations are doing. And it's not this big problem. It's not something that takes your freedoms away. Quite the opposite. I am so much more free to live my life because I'm covered by a, uh, by a universal, you know, let them, let them call it a socialist uh, healthcare system if they want, but it's, it's just a humane system is what I call it. Um, wow. 900 bucks, 900 bucks yeah. to find out what you need to do to make your life better. There's something inhumane about that. But, but, yes. but again, you are blessed to be, to be in a situation where that, that's, that wasn't that much of a, uh, of a burden on you that you couldn't do it. You were, you were able to do it. I was, I was able to do it. And I really liked the doctor. Um, you know, yeah. I would have been more upset about it if I didn't like her. Yeah. Um, but not everybody is, is able to do that. And that's something that, that we need to change. So how did so, she break, how did she break the news to you then? You take these tests and then, uh, did she evaluate well, the she, results and then get back to you or what, how did that work to get that? Well, actual- she did the, Examination, like you would do it with anybody. Like if you brought a child to do an evaluation, she sat me down and it's like, talk, um, tell me what you were like in, in school. Tell me about your, um, experiences. And it was actually weird for me to go back to elementary school and think about my interactions with people, how, it's always been so difficult for me to make and keep friends, how I talk kind of roughly to people unintentionally. Um, I, I've always what does had that a problem mean? Talk, with people. What does that mean you talk roughly to people? Um, I've always had a problem with tone. And so oh. I'll say things and I'll look at the way people react and I'm, I'm thinking, why are you? I understand why you're reacting this way because I meant it this way, but you seem really upset right now or you've taken it a very different way. And, and so I've gotten into, um, 
into riffs with people because of that. Um, because I always, I always speak very straight forward and and that's caused me some risk with people in the workplace because I don't know how to be different with a entry level employee and an executive employee. I'm, I'm just me. And (laughs) some people find that to be refreshing. Other people, you know, when I first started working are like, Lauren, you need to, you need to tone it down just a, a little, you know, maybe don't talk to people so forwardly. And I'm like, I'm like but that's hard. You know, like, why do I have to, to sugarcoat? They're things? asking you, they're asking you to change your personality. They're asking you yeah. to change how you, ex- because the way we express ourselves is very much an indicator of who we are. I mean, it is who we are. This mm-hmm. is how I express myself and you want me to change it. How do you react? How did you react when you, when you were hearing things like that? Well, I didn't understand that it wasn't common, you know, because I also oh. spent the first 20 years of my life not really talking to anybody. Right. So I was definitely, um, you know, a little unprepared, untrained in that manner. And I wrote a little essay on that. It's actually the first blog post I did on my website. Um, I, I just wrote about words, how um, – I didn't, I didn't really use them at first. And so nobody really knew how I was feeling or what I was thinking. And then when I did use them, I didn't quite know how to. And so I still have that battle with people. And it's one that continues to exist. You know, um, my mentor and I were talking about this. He's like, people are 80, 20 about honesty. They like it 80% of the time until that 20% where you're talking about (laughs) them. And, and so I guess part of the, the autism is I don't always filter that. Ah. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't even, I wouldn't even say that I don't know how to, I think there were points where I didn't. And now I just don't care because it's too hard. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, can we skip all the steps where I try and make you feel okay about what I'm about to say? (laughs) And, and like, let's just get through this so that we can make a plan. And, um, and so, you know, I'm telling her all these things. I go through, um, my last three relationships. Like I dated three guys in the last three years. I don't call them exes because we didn't quite make it to that point. Um, but I always have, because I connect with so few people, um, I meet these guys and there's a whole lot of intensity at first because, that's how I am. Like I'm honest and forward and, and it starts with this intensity and it's great. And they never break things off because there's something wrong. I meet guys and they're like, you're different. You're not normal. You're special. I can't do this. And, and then it, it wrecks me for months. And well, because so, um, that's a, that's a direct rejection of who you are. Yes. So that hurts. And it's, it's hard to deal with, especially the the last guy I was with who, um, who, uh, prompted that second book. (laughs) (laughs) You know, he, one of those people that could, he, he just saw me immediately. Like he saw everything I was hiding and, and it just like, wasn't enough, you know? So I, I struggled with that and I'm talking to the examiner about it and she was, um, she's like, he sounds like a narcissist, which is something I didn't realize that I had been drawing myself to, you know, as a result of, of some of these things. So there, there are all these things in my life that, um, 
in my social interactions that she was listening to that I didn't realize were a result of this. And so by the, um, you know, by the, the first hour, she said, I'm pretty confident you have autism. And I said, okay. And then we talked for about two more hours. And this is, this is before, this is before you took that battery of tests. This is after. This is okay, when I was okay. in her office. So, so you had taken so, you had taken the test, and she had seen the results, and then you're having this conversation. Yes, okay. in the office, so okay. she can actually see how I interact. Yes. yes. Um, and then she had me do um, a series of tests. We did a, an IQ test, and um, you probably got pretty high IQ, I would say. Well, she she told me that it was like one twenty something or whatever, like ninety two percentile, and I just looked at her. I'm like really? And she said, are you surprised with that? I'm like, yeah, I didn't think I was that smart. And she goes, you are, you're very intelligent. I'm like, no. And and it's funny. Cause I looked at her and I said, but I didn't get that question. Cause I was mad at myself for not getting the answer to that question. And she said, but you got this one and nobody ever gets that. Uh-huh. And I'm like, okay. And then, <laughs> then she said, well, actually I rescored it and it's 88 percentile. I was like, whatever you told me 92. So I'm Stick keeping with that. that one. Keep the high number. <laughs> and then, you know, it was, uh, it was actually more of like a child's test, like pick the one that's different. And, you know, out of these six images and I looked at it and I would pick one and she'd be like, no. And I'm like, what do you mean? No, that doesn't make any sense. Like arguing with her about some of the answers to the test yeah. because, and she'd be like, yeah, that actually doesn't make any sense. I'm like, yeah, it doesn't. That's why <laughs> I disagree with whatever answers they gave you. Um, so at the end of it, it was, you know, you have level one autism, which is a high functioning, you know, you don't need the supports that other people need. And, and that's one of the things with autism uh, is that people tend to think of it in terms of um, children, because that's typically when it's diagnosed, uh, when it's nonverbal, when it's behavioral. Um, and so they don't look at a woman with the yeah. traits that I'm exhibiting, yeah. who's got a pretty successful career and has done all these other things and go, you have autism. And I told my friend who has um, three boys, two of whom are autistic. uh, I told her, so I might have autism. And she's like, what? No. She's like, never, ever thought of you that way. Will, will Will this change your life at all now that you have this diagnosis has it brought about some sort of understanding? Will it change your path at all? Uh, I think there's a few different things that can come out of it. Yeah. Um, I I looked at the examiner when she said it to me, and I said, maybe I'm just doing it wrong, <laughs> because she said the manifestation of my autism is social interactions. And the ability to sometimes not be, or inability rather, to sometimes control my emotions. My emotions can be very large. And I do see where they get away from me for the smallest thing sometimes, the smallest trigger. And I said to her, maybe I'm just doing it wrong. And she looks at me and she goes, you're autistic. And I was like, okay. And I told my friend I told my mom, told my couple other friends, and I was like, okay, because I kind of already accepted it okay. at that point. Okay. So there was no struggle and then, then. You find this out, and there was really no struggle with it at all. For the first 
first day and a half. Okay. And then, and then? I had a full meltdown. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I'm just like. Tears. Okay. I, I, uh, I was just depressed, you know, uh-huh. I was, I was like, am I, I don't, I've, I've, I've been told more and more often in my adult life as I've let more of myself out, um, that I'm different, that I'm not normal. Um, I wrote a blog post that you read about being on pedestals, yes. uh, cause people are, are scared of me. Um, they're intimidated. Uh, I remember messaging somebody on, on Twitter once just to thank him for always being uh, so kind with his words and compliments on my poetry. And he's like, I'm starstruck right now. And he told me, he's like, you intimidate me. I'm like, dude, you live in, in England. Like, and you've <laughs> never even seen my face. Like, how do I scare you? Um, and, and, you know, my mentor. Well, you have a, you I, probably have some sort of celebrity status among a lot. I mean, for for those who are listening, <laughs> for those who are listening, Lauren White's Twitter feed is is absolutely amazing, um, and I can I, I can kind. see that. No, I'm I'm too I'm I'm quite honest, is what I am, <laughs> and I I can see I can understand that I can actually understand that guy in England being you know I'm I'm not you know intimidated by you I but I do recognize and acknowledge your your talent, but for someone who maybe they're not a writer themselves, maybe they're not any sort of an artist themselves, I can see them being a little uh, starstruck. I can see them. Putting putting you on that celebrity pedestal, I can totally see that. Well, sometimes it's disheartening because why, why you why is that you just want to be a cool semi normal friend, right? And so sometimes when people have this uh, consistent fear of you or this intimidation of you, or they're afraid to talk to you or be with you. Um, the friendship is not quite what you want, right? Think, yeah. It's, it's, uh, you're the person it, it, I was telling the examiner this I've become, I've gone from being the person that people ask for their homework <laughs> to people, to the person people ask for the honest advice, because what I'll say to you is, do you want the honest answer? Or do you want the brutally honest answer? <laughs> and then they don't, and they don't need you anymore. And when people are scared of you, they can't quite make that connection that is going to result in them staying. Well, I think and, the world the world is full of people who lack self-confidence. And I think those are the people who will fear you. They'll see your talent. They'll see your abilities. And because they lack some elements of confidence in themselves, they will fear you and, and they'll put you on that pedestal, but they will distance themselves in a way, uh, you know, the, the, the true kinship of friendship will yes. not be there because they're lacking something in themselves. But and see, I see, I, I feel, but see, I feel a kinship with you because I'm also an artist and, and somewhat of a writer with my lyrics and every, not somewhat, I am a writer uh, with my music lyrics and whatnot. So I have a kin, I have a kinship with you where, my my admiration for you is nothing there there's no element of fear or intimidation mm-hmm. in that so maybe and, it's just maybe it's maybe well, there's it's, an, 
not so much to do with you, but it's from the standpoint of the person who is admiring you. And that's what's hard for me to accept. And okay. and that's where I'm okay. going with this thought process. The irony in that is my self-confidence is very low. Um, one of my friends, she said she calls her stepdaughter a coconut. And she's like, you're kind of like that, like that hard exterior. <laughs> and you get to the inside and it's just like, soft it's just a mess. Sweet. In there. Yeah, but it's and, soft and sweet too. <laughs> and, um, and my mentor, he's, he's like, I am somebody that knows you pretty well. Yeah. And he's, most people fit in some sort of box. You fit in no box. And I, I've always struggled with this concept of being different because a lot of the things I do are things that I feel like everybody should do or everybody could do. And, and there's that part of me uh, that lacks esteem in that I don't feel like I've done anything special. And so that's okay. where that self-deprecation of um, that self-deprecation comes in. And but you do see my you, humor. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. So Go ahead. It, it comes out a lot in my humor, you know, that self-deprecation. So, you know, as I'm processing this autism and, and how I don't always like to be thought of as different or not normal. Like, I just want to be like your kind of cool, quirky friend, you yeah. know? And, and I, I thought, is this cause my mind's broken. Is this because there's something wrong with me and there's always been something wrong with me that I can't fix. And, but autism, autism does not equal wrong. No, no, it doesn't. And, and I just had to have my little meltdown. Depression. Yeah. (laughs) Depression doesn't equal wrong. Uh, You know, PTSD does not equal wrong. Anxiety is not wrong. It's different because not everyone, not everyone has those things to deal with. And there are some people who do have those things to deal with, but they choose not to deal with it. So I would say the person who has those things to deal with and then actually deals with it is to be, you know, there, 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 there should be a recognizing of their strength. Yes. Um, And that's something that I have to talk to myself. Yes. You should recognize your strength in all of this. And uh, it would do you well. It would do you well to, (laughs) it would, it would do you well to recognize it. It would, it would. And, and that's what, and that's, me sometimes it takes me sometimes a couple days to process things. That's sure. why I couldn't write about it right away. Um, I was talking to my friend about it. I was reading the report and looking at words like social communication disorder <laughs> or talk at and and I'm just like, is there like, am I have I been broken and messed up this whole time and we just didn't know. And, and I had a little mini breakdown and I was talking to my mom and I, I cried because I was just like, you know, am I, I, that's, that's how I felt was, was, you know, broken, not right. And I got it out and, uh, and I was like, okay, remember before when you were embracing this, you know, let's, let's go back to that. Um, (laughs) And I, I bought a couple of the books that uh, the examiner had suggested. 
and and weirdly, I actually um, in the report she said something about talking at the examiner, and I actually sent her an email saying, "Did I talk at you? I am so sorry." And she goes, Lauren, no, like these are just, this is feedback. Like you don't yeah. have anything that you need to apologize for. Right. But I was, you know, so internally, like, did I really come off that way? Was I unkind? Was I rambling? And so I, I had to process all through that and, and just kind of get to this place where like, this is how you've always been and how you've always talked to people. And 2020 has taken the filter off my mouth <laughs> in an epic way. And, and it's like, you know what? That's okay. People like that you, and um, even the examiner has said, you can, she's like, you'd be such an inspiration to girls. Sure. And, and you'd be a my great mentor and I have you'd be a talked great, about that. Yeah. You'd be a great motivational speaker. So, and, and so that's something that my mentor gave me for homework, you know, cause I, we actually, before all this happened, like a couple months ago, I was like, maybe I should be a motivational speaker. And he said, now, like with knowing this, you know, a late diagnosis of the autism plus your entire journey, um, that would be great for you to talk about. So he gave me homework and he's like, so start putting together a, a presentation, you know, a talk that you could, you could maybe do that so I can look at it. I'm like, fine. So I sent him the blog posts and he actually thought it was very well written too. He yeah, thought it, it flowed very well. Um, and he said, I can see that being a, a presentation that you give. How, how long I, after, let me just ask you real quick. How long after you um, got the diagnosis was that blog post? It was just a few days, wasn't see, it? The diagnosis was Friday. Friday. I don't think I was able to write about it until because the blog post was a couple days, two days ago, wasn't it? Wednesday. I think it was Wednesday night. Wednesday night. I yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I took so was, a few shots and went for it. <laughs> so, so it was, so it was Friday then that you got the diagnosis. You had to Friday. Pro- I got the diagnosis. You, pros- you processed to, that and then uh, yes. for a few days and then you sat down and wrote about it. Yes. And therein, uh, I, therein lies the rawness of that blog post because it was so fresh. I mean, it was lit- yeah. literally less than a week. Uh, and there's uh, a there's a point when in the in processing, at least for me, where as I was saying earlier, I can't write. If there's too much in my head, yeah. you know, and I'm I'm trying to navigate it, it's not going to come out in words yet. That no. that would be a mess. And if I posted whatever that was, like people would have me committed or something <laughs> like you know. <laughs> but then even um I, you know, I talked with my therapist about it. I kind of processed it. Then I talked with my psychiatrist about it on Monday. And um, I actually told her uh, some other things that she said, that's a very common symptom. Oh. Um, you know, one of the things that I wrote about, which was strange, was, um, you know, when I told my mom about this, she said, um, and my mom immediately, you know, will start researching everything. She's very great about that. Um, and she said, so maybe this is why you always stared at me, you know, in the crib and didn't cry when I would come and check on you. And she's always, she's always told me that like, as a baby, I was, I was born premature, um, about two months early and they bring me home. I pretty much sleep through the night and, um, she'd come in to get me and I'd be wide awake. I wouldn't cry. Wouldn't move. I would okay. just be looking at her yeah. and she put me to bed, check on me an hour or two later and I'd be in the bed just staring at the ceiling. Okay. And as a baby, she'd put me down 
and people thought I was a doll baby because I, I didn't move. <sighs> and um, that's how my parents thought babies were until my brother came along and destroyed everything in his little war path. <laughs> like you can see, if you look at pictures of him crawling, like you just yeah. see mischief. Yeah. Um, and I, apparently my aunt told her, you know, now you have a real baby um, because it- I just watched just- is, is, it, is there anyone else with autism uh, in your family that you know of? Not, not that I know of. Okay. Um, maybe, but, because it probably comes from somewhere. But, <laughs> but That's what they say. Don't, isn't that something that can... Uh, it can be, be genetic. Yeah, um, yeah. It can be um, because I was premature, yeah. um, is something I was reading. Yeah. Uh, and so when I told my doctor that, she's like, that's actually a sign of, an early sign of autism. And I was like, really? And I texted my mom. She called me. She's like, really? And I'm like, yeah, who would have thought? Like because, me being a good baby. Yeah. <laughs> Because it's because isn't a lot of it. It's just a it's a different way of processing information. Is that not yeah. part of what it is? It, it, so it was a different sort of social interaction. Exactly. I guess. Exactly. So that ba- <laughs> that baby thing, if we can call it that, that baby thing of crying for attention and yeah. things like that, it it didn't manifest itself in you. No, I, it had to be if I really needed something yeah. other than that. Like I was, I was just chill. <laughs> and uh, and it, it's, it's, so it's funny because that, that was a positive for my parents, sure. right? Like sure. they would just, okay, sit here, you know, don't move, do what you do. And, now, and then my brother was a complete opposite. So trying to process that, you know, those signs that were there at a couple of months that we didn't know to look for that my parents didn't understand was yeah, a thing. It yeah. was just like, oh, this is our first yeah, kid. So yeah. that's that's what they do. Okay. And then now later to be like, oh, was that something we should have paid attention to? So, you know, that's probably a you know a burden on them too. So so in addition to learning about it. Sure, absolutely. Um a lot of parents have, I read about parents having guilt feelings when their child has autism. And I think that is the parents not quite understand. I think it's people, it's, it's society not understanding what autism is. You can't parent autism onto your child. Right. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just something that is. Um, has your mother expressed any, you know, uh, oh gosh, I wish I would have raised you differently. Oh, oh gosh, I wish I would have disciplined you differently now that she knows that you have and have had uh, your entire life autism. Not, no, not as far as the, uh, the autism, um, more the depression ah. and, and not a change in the way of being raised or anything like that. Just, we didn't know. She um, probably just wishes she did know. Yes. Yeah. And and so now, you know, the good that she's able to do is she, you know, she tells me she sees it in other other children now, yeah. and she'll look at them and be like, "That's you," and she'll she'll say, "Hey, yeah. maybe you need to, yeah. you know, have them talk to somebody or, or do this." And so that's that's good that she's able to do as a parent and share that information because now, sure. Um, sure. now she understands what it looks like. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, they didn't, they didn't know just didn't all know. these weird things that I did, you, you know, um, like, especially with uh, you, you know, being the firstborn, they had nothing to yes. compare to. 
Right. You know, and there's, there's no parenting manual. Every no. kid's different. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I was the one that didn't talk to people. I was super shy and kids would be playing over here. And my mom said she'd find me over here somewhere. Cause I had to reset my brain. At, yeah. You know, that's what I'd say to her as a child. I still do that. You have me in noise for about two hours. No, like I will turn belligerent if you do not let me get out because it's it's sensory overload sure, for me. Sure. You click a pen, I am going to punch you in the throat. <laughs> you know, so it's, yeah. it's these little things that right. are are symptoms of sensory it that overload, I yeah. just yeah, like it's not it's not like level two or level three sensory overload, but there are but things that, that trigger that, yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And like you, and I've been in a meeting where people, somebody's clicking a pen and I'm immediately just like on edge, you know, I start cringing. Cause I'm like, where is that noise coming yeah, from? Yeah. And, and you know, that combined with being introverted, which with me, people also don't understand because of again, how you accommodate yourself in the yeah. workplace and around people. Um, in the workplace, you know, I got my hammer in my back pocket. I'm not playing with you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and people have learned that about me, especially with the sort of a job that I do. You, I just don't always make friends with people. They're like, we've been doing it that way for 10 years. I'm like, that's great. Here's how you're going to do it now. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't care what you think. Yeah. Okay. This is what's going to happen now. And so, you know, are you in a supervisory position at your job? I know you're I'm working not. from home now, but no, you're not. You're not a supervisor. Not manager? a supervisory, but I tend to be, um, I have been in lead positions, lead okay. engineering positions. Uh, and so this could be a whole other podcast discussion about trying to navigate um, being a black woman in an engineering field and, and being assertive and forward and not being this, you know, angry black person, black woman, or not being the quote unquote bitch in the yeah. workplace. And then well, now great, to find that I got, say again. I was going to say, that's a great podcast episode. We're just going to have to do that next time. <laughs> we, we might. And then to, and then to be navigating all of that this whole time and add autism yeah. onto that. Um, Are you going to tell your job? You know, just, nah, Why? I'm not, I don't hide it. No, no. But <laughs> as you don't well feel... as I don't hide a lot of other things because I've, I've been mental, taking your mental health day is really important and people sure. don't get that. Sure. It's like, Oh, I'm sick. I have a cold. I'm not coming to work. And, um, and I've gotten arguments with people. They're like, well, why would I jeopardize that? You know, to, you know, just cause I have PTSD or something like that. I'm like, if you're out your mind, you're not good to anybody. Just like if you have the flu, you're not good to anybody. Right, and right. I've told supervisors, I've walked into their office and I'm like, look, I may come in here and I may tell you I have to leave and you just need to let me go. Yeah. Uh, because I learned the hard way trying to work through it as I would gradually shut down yep. over the course of a few and if I just take my day, my mental health day, and reset my brain. That's, uh, um, yeah, that's good that you have the strength I, to do that. Not everyone will do that. Well, well then I can go back to work. And yeah, then I'm yeah. better for you than, you know, just not being there over the course of several days. You know, you have to be able to mm -hmm. do that. And you have to be able to recognize it. It took me years um, to do that. So, 
you know, now it's just kind of like, you know, this, this plethora of things and, and going back through some of my interactions with people and going, was that, you know, was that, that, you know, when that happened at work, was it the autism? Was it the anxiety? Was it the introversion? You know? And, and so that's when I come home and I, I lay on the sofa and I watch cartoons under a blanket so I can just shut off my brain because people think I'm weird for that. I'm like, first of all, cartoons are awesome. Yes, they are. I go to bed watching Adult Swim all the time. I have Boomerang now. So like one day I was just like watching the Smurfs, you know, I was like mounting a TV and watching the Flintstones. That's how I bring it down. That's how I let me ask you and, this. Uh, let me let me ask you this. Now now that you have this diagnosis which brings about a new understanding, I would assume, a new understanding of who you are and why you are who you are. Mm-hmm. Is that going to change your life going forward? And if so, so you, how? So you asked me that earlier. Yeah, but I, I, I didn't, I didn't I don't, we kind of we kind of got off of the answer <laughs> on that one though. <laughs> Um, I probably started to answer it and, um, it's, um, how, how is it going to no, change your life? It's, it's, it's not, um, okay. it's not going to change who I am. Um, so, but it does give me, um, it does give me some explanations of things and, um, things to look for and, and watch and, um, I actually just started reading Autism and Heals by uh, Jennifer Cook O'Toole. Uh, she just got, um, or she didn't get diagnosed with autism until she was 35. Um, and so, you know, I, I only read the first few pages, but I think what happens is it doesn't really change you going forward. It makes it you go. It explains things yeah. from the past. And you're like, okay. Now yeah. I get it. So this and sounds this sounds like you, you just, are in full acceptance then of this part of you. I Am I, I right? don't want to put I don't want to put full on there because I'm still trying to understand it. Um, accepting, yes. Could I talk to people about it? Yes. You know, I, I in, I'm enjoying doing this podcast and thank you. Going through the entire journey of it because it's a long one sure it is yeah <laughs> you went around for point. you went around for for 20 years before you even yeah. got into the depression and uh, the the you know understanding that and understanding the ptsd and whatnot and one of the things that you know we learned is that because we were so focused on the other things yeah. we didn't doctors probably didn't think to look for the autism yeah. which is what causes or can cause the anxiety or the anxiety because you're not understood or not fitting in or not interacting with people in the way that, that you want to be. And so is it going to change me? No, like I've kind of made a point of being who I am this year. Um, I'm not really sure when that started, I don't know. Like I, I, I just stopped caring and usually people get to, you know, 50 or 60 when they're old and crotchety and they're like, I don't care what I say anymore. Well, could it be the I, release? Could it be the release? Your first book release that kind of, because that's no. quite, ex, that's quite an expose when you put your inner thoughts, when you put your, your poetry and maybe some elements of your journals out there like that, that's quite exposing. I think it's, 
I think it's me finally working on accepting me. Okay. Um, yeah. And, you know, self-love is difficult. Even the examiner said that. And my... I'm sorry, what's what's difficult? Self, self-love. Self-love, yes. And yes, it is. one of my continual conflicts is, um, you know, I'm very left and right brained, um, very dualistic in my personality. Sometimes I think there's something to that Gemini astrological Uh sign because I feel Uh two faced half the time. And, and so it's fighting the Vulcan half of my brain (laughs) <laughs> that says Star Trek reference. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Live long and prosper. It's uh it's fighting that Vulcan rational logical part of my brain that says there's nothing wrong with you. Everything is okay. You don't need to feel this way or yeah. that way. Yeah. Just be. Just be. With that soft human half of my brain that can't get there. With yes. those words. Yeah. And I say that to my therapist. I'm like, in my mind, I can be like, I'm awesome. That doesn't connect with my emotions sometimes. I understand. I totally understand. And so it's, it's, it's getting there. And it's a I, tiring situation to be in. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and you, you hate it because you're like, why can't I just be happy? Yeah. You know, just yeah. sometimes you're like, can I just feel happiness? And that was one of the questions on one of the uh, autism exams I took is, do you remember what happiness feels like? And I was like, Oh boy. No. And, uh, and, and that, that was a lot. And so that's, that's the change that I hope comes out of this. It's the change that I've been working on before this diagnosis. It's just something that adds to understanding of myself is, um, you know, I'm okay. I got a few things going on. I've been diagnosed with half the alphabet. Um, (laughs) (laughs) it's who I am and, and just trying to work on getting that, uh, that logic and the emotion to kind of mind meld with each other here. Um, and, and there are other parts of that, that, that play in with, you know, being an empath, you know, that's one of the first things Tiffy told me is you're, you're an empath and um, another Star Trek reference, like, you know, kind of a Deanna Troy, but <laughs> I don't really like people that much. <laughs> and so when you, you, you're just kind of a, I, I put in my Twitter bio misanthropic empath because sometimes I'm like, Oh my God, I don't want to deal with anybody, but I care and I can't let you fall apart if right. I see that happening and trying to understand that that's just me. That's, that's a beautiful way of putting am, it. That's a, that's a beautiful, that's you, okay. you don't like people, but you don't want to see them crumble. Yeah. You wanna, you, you I, know, I can't you, help you, it. Yeah. So I'm continually <laughs> disappointed with them and myself, you know, it's, <laughs> oh, and my mentor is the same way. So, you know, we, we talk about it because people gravitate toward sure. you. And so the, the last podcast, Tiffy was saying, um, you know, we collect broken toys, um, and, and so it's funny cause I feel like a misanthrope sometimes. I'm like, yeah. I just don't want to deal with you. Um, but if you come to me with something, which I've, I've realized, you know, when relationships end and people just cut you off, even if I'm like kind of over you, I, 
I, I don't know. I don't know how to not help you. And, um, I'm experiencing that at the moment with, uh, (laughs) yes, no, I, I, I feel you. I totally feel you on that one. Absolutely. So there's a, there's a lot of, um, acceptance and things to love about myself, the introvert, the empath, the autism, and, you know, just all these other things that are making this full picture of me that I haven't been able to really see. Um, Mm. Maybe because I've been hiding within myself for a really long time. And that little person in there is really trying to get back out. And some people see her and some people don't. And and I I had a friend say to me, I think we've only seen glimpses of you up to now, but not really who you are. And I'm, I'm trying to let her out. (laughs) Some people see her and, uh, and I keep trying to push her back in there. So I hope that understanding that comes from having this autism diagnosis and explaining just some things about the way that I am, you know, I'm not broken. I'm just me. And there's nothing wrong there's nothing wrong with you. You're not broken. <laughs> You're just this. And, and, and different is a good thing. I think Sometimes. different. Oh, I think different is good. Just about, <laughs> just about a hundred percent of the time. 95% so, of the time, different is a good thing. It's an interesting <laughs> thing. There's something and, and you, you have that this, love. Say again. I said, and that's that, that love that we all need to get to. Yeah. And it's a little harder for some of us sure. to get there because um, we think too much. Um, and some people never really see themselves also. Well, I think that's well, a, but a when flaw you, of the world. But when you find someone, when someone comes into your life in whatever way, and it's someone whom you trust, and then when they tell you these things, you know, when they tell you that, that yeah, you're different, but that's a good thing. Um, mm-hmm. And when they say, yeah, you're complicated, but I enjoy that, you know, that's those are the people you should listen to. Those are the people's uh, thoughts about you that you should try to emulate. And then there you will, you will experience the self-love. Yeah. And you got to clean your house of everybody else. Got to clean your house of everybody else. Absolutely. You know, I, you, you, you should really look into this thing about being a motivational speaker. I believe that you could change people's lives. If you get out there on a platform uh, whatever that may platform may be, uh, some sort of traveling lecture or whatever it is, I, I truly believe you could change people's lives. And and Thank that you. process and that pro- <laughs> you're welcome. And that process of changing people's lives will lead to uh, a certain type of growth that you will feel within yourself. It will be a growing and a learning process for yourself. So at the same time as you're helping others, you're also helping yourself to grow and to develop. And some fulfillment. You'll find too. a new understanding of yourself. Mm-hmm. It would, it would be fulfilling work. Cause I sure, think that sure. um, when I'm happiest are things that are, are meaningful like that. Um, I'm not a surface level person and this is, these are things that are way, way below the surface. Sure, sure. <laughs> well, we need to well, you have a lot of depth. About. You have a lot of depth. 
Let me, yes, let me ask you. you, you're, you're there in Florida. Let me just, yeah, yeah, let me um, wind this up. But I just have one question. Uh, you're in Florida. What is your daily life like? Is it as crazy there with the COVID situation as I see on the news? Well, you know, the pandemic isn't happening here, right? There is no COVID <laughs> in Florida. What's that, mayor, what's that governor's name? DeSantis? Yeah, that yeah. Guy, something else. <laughs> that guy. Um, you know, I uh, I try and live my life as normally as possible. So yes. I'd say what we're doing in Florida is good and bad. Um, because of many of these things that we've just discussed, I cannot lock myself in my house. I will lose it. Um, so what do you do? The one month of lockdown was hard. Um, I live what, what precautions? My life what precautions? Normally, what precautions do you take? I, um. I don't touch anything. Definitely. Um, I've gotten in the habit now of opening everything with my shirt. <laughs> yes. I <laughs> use my gloves. sleeve. I use my sleeve because it's cold I, over I here. It's a long sleeve. Nothing. So I just use my sleeve to open doors. I go to the gym. Um, I do gym class and LA fitness has actually set up their classrooms with, um, uh, six foot circles, which for oh, some people seems okay. to just be a suggestion. Um, <laughs> but I try to be in the center of my circle. Are you masked, I, masked up? You wear masks through the gym. Um, I wear gloves because um, I only do the classes. I usually do steps. So I wear okay. gloves to take down the equipment. Sure. I don't use any gym equipment no. because you're just there for the group class. Just like ugh, I go and do the classes and yeah. I touch what I need to in there with my gloves. I can't wear the mask um, because I have asthma, which actually does put me in a high risk category. And sometimes with the mask, I cannot breathe. Like if I have to talk to you a lot, sure. um, it does, it will trigger uh, my Are asthma. You, so I you, wear the mask, you know, outside, but I can't do anything strenuous with it. Okay. And you can take it off during a workout, you know, just make sure everybody gets away from me. The there yeah. are some things that you kind of wonder why we didn't do all the time. You know, I wear gloves at the gas pump now. And then I look at the glove and I'm like, this is disgusting. Like, why haven't we been doing this all yeah. the time? Yeah. Um, I had to fly home to Maryland because we had some family emergencies. Um, and I, I mean, I sanitized the seat, wiped it down. I had sanitizer all over myself. I got home, surprised my parents. I was like, don't touch me. <laughs> Jumped in the shower, yeah. took everything off, put it all to be, you know, and we kind of kept our distance for a few days until yeah. it was like, all right, I'm fine. Yeah. Um, because I have asthma and I tend to have symptoms that are reminiscent of COVID, um, or if I get very tired and run down, I have symptoms that are reminiscent of that. I go get tested. I've been poked in the brain three times now. <laughs> so far, I've been fine. Um, I'm doing it again tomorrow. My friend okay. is getting married Sunday. So, you know, going to get sure. tested. And sure. I, it's, it's not hard. It's really not. Is what I've told people. It's not hard to wear a mask, be considerate, you know, be careful, yeah. sanitize. Yeah. And I'm fortunate enough that I can go to the gym and go to the store and go to Pilates class. And I've only thing I'm not doing is going to work because we work in an enclosed space and we all use the same door. And we've had a lot yeah. of cases where I work. So I, um, and a lot it's of people have then. to go into the office. So okay. I don't go there. But other than that, like I've been pretty much able to do everything. I'm just very careful. So about it's probably it. good for you then to be at home with, I know you kind of go a little bit 
crazy. You said earlier you'd rather be at the office to work, but it's probably good to not be at the office then. Yes, because I can't control that. Right, um, exactly. Sitting in close proximity yeah. to people, whereas if I'm out, like I can at least kind of get away from you, you know, and I, you know, I have my, my mask on, but I do see sometimes, cause we've been open since May. Right. Yeah, yeah. Like, and, uh, people just kind of do what they do down here. Um, my well, friend well, and I careful. went to an, a little arts and craft festival and, yeah. you know, we had our masks on and sanitizer and we just looked at all the people, yeah. you know, they had the vendors split apart and we just looked at all the people that were crowding a bar uh, without their masks oh, and whatnot. We we're, we're just like, what's wrong with you? you know? Well, you so just, we're, just, we're doing okay. And, 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 Keep on doing okay. Take care of yourself and 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 stay healthy. Listen, I know you uh, you have another appointment you have to 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 uh, get to, uh, but before you go, I want to tell people they can check out your website, thepoeticengineer.com. And uh, from there, they can find information about both of your books. They can check out your blog there. I strongly suggest people, and I didn't read your most recent blog post about music. I'm going to do that today. But the <laughs> previous, the, 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 the blog post before that, the one about uh, how you were processing your new diagnosis of autism, I strongly suggest my listeners listen uh, to that. It's a beautifully written piece, very insightful, very naked and raw uh, well-written thumbs up for that. I also want to tell people that in, uh, by the time this episode comes out on Sunday, can we say that you, there will be links and you will be an official loyal Oak artist. Will we have that up on the website by then in a couple of days Uh, or is that maybe too soon? Maybe too soon, but I will try my best. We'll tell people then that it's coming. (laughs) Uh, Lauren, (laughs) Lauren White is a loyal oak artist and that just means that she's brought into the fold and, uh, and I'll be doing things to help promote her work. And, uh, she is a, uh, official loyal oak artist and you will be able to see that on my website soon, maybe not in a couple days, but soon. And I will make an announcement about that. And my website is John Allen pod.com. Uh, Lauren, Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Much love. Uh, Much love to Tiffy also. She's the one that put me in contact with you. Uh, I miss her. Uh, She will be coming back to the Tiffy Tuesday series. Uh, It's going to be a while, but she will be coming back. But I'm so glad she she hooked me up with you. I call you friend. I call you sister. I call you a fellow artist. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much for being uh, part of this podcast for the second time. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me again, John. My really pleasure. enjoyed it. My pleasure. Okay, Lauren White, everybody. Bye now. Thank you and goodbye.